0: Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth. Helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system, as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now here's Steve.
1: Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on WebTalkRadio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the Dr.Score.com Physician Rating website. Patients deserve great medical care, and doctors want to give patients great medical care. But sometimes, patients are sick and cranky, and a lot of the time, doctors are hopelessly overworked, and those two things don't go together well. Um, On our show today, we're going to talk about what needs to be done to make sure patients' expectations are met, not just what doctors can do, but also what patients can do. Uh, Joining us on the show today, we have Susan Keen Baker. She's the author of Managing Patient Expectations, The Art of Finding and Keeping Loyal Patients. Susan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, Your book is written for physicians, nurses, and other clinicians, and you give them advice on how to manage their patients' expectations. You know, my show is for the lay public, and and I I do want to focus on um, the things patients can do to make sure their expectations are met. But at the same time, uh, this show tries to let the public see what's behind this, the uh, curtains of health care um, to, to know what's happening on the doctor's side. So, so first, let's start off by talking about what should, the, what should we be expecting doctors to be doing um, to meet their patients' expectations?
2: Well, Dr. Feldman, I believe that people value experiences in which their unique preferences are identified and respected, and so what that means is that physicians, nurses, clinicians can be attuned to what the expectations and the preferences are that a patient has. And sometimes they cannot be honored, but at least if they're recognized. And an example I give if I'm speaking with a clinical group is, you know, I, I travel around the country often and I rent cars. And I usually rent a car from the same company. I ask for the same car every time, the car that they most frequently have available. Well, they're not always going to have the car that I want. Um, but the, And it's important to me because I'm driving places in the middle of the night and that's not the time to try to find out in a, in a strange, unfamiliar car, how do you turn the windshield wipers on or, you know, where's the emergency brake? So the savvy person at the car rental counter will say, oh, Mrs. Baker, we know that you love the, the Taurus, uh, and we don't have one today, but we have um, chosen the closest model. And so I'm not getting what I want, but I still feel, okay, they understood what I wanted and they gave me the next best thing. So realizing that people really do value those experiences in which their their preferences are identified and at least respected um, goes a long way, I think, to creating a mutually respectful relationship.
1: That sounds critically important. What you have said raises several other issues um, in my mind. First, the idea that physicians can learn from um, other industries about how to manage customers' expectations. Um, I have no problem considering patient a subset of customer uh, for this purpose.
2: Mm, I agree, yes. And I think it's helpful for patients to decide what are those unique preferences that they have. Um, and I believe that it's really easier not to get married than it is to get divorced and so deciding on those preferences and seeing whether a physician that we're considering is a good match for those preferences is really helpful in terms of, of not being disappointed down the road. Uh, there's a woman um, by the name of Rebecca Morgan, and she has a website called datinggoddess.com. And she has a series of ebooks on her website. And one of the ebooks is Don't Date a Dud, Checking Him Out Online. And so, um, you know, an online service. Survey system that provides information in advance can be really helpful in deciding. Yes, this is a this is a practice that I would like to be part of. Uh, you know, if you have a friend who says to you, oh, you know, this is I just went to the best movie. You should go. Well, if you show if you take that recommendation and you show up and it's a romantic comedy and you hate romantic comedies, you're not going to be happy no matter how great the the screenplay is and how wonderful the actors are. Um, so identifying, you know, what's the kind of movie, what's, the, what's the, the, the experience that you're most looking for, and then look to those online reviews. Ask friends specifically about the preferences that you have and what's that experience like when you visit that physician's practice or that hospital or that that healthcare center.
1: I um, just love when patients have come in and in advance of... Um our session, they've looked me up, they've seen what I've published, they look at what patient advocacy groups I've worked with, they've seen what talks I've given, and so they have a sense of whether I'm the kind of person they want to see or not.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And there was another thing you mentioned, and that is um, I just love your idea of liking consistency in, in the cars that you're getting. Um, this, this really makes a lot of sense to me, the um, idea of doing things in a particular order, having things done in a particular way. I wonder if that applies to how we should be practicing medicine as well.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think inconsistency is one of the greatest patient dissatisfiers. Um, it was Nicholas Wade, a New York Times um, writer, who, who said, given two equally competent physicians, pick, pick the one with a smile and an optimistic disposition. And if, if one day you arrive um, to see a physician, the physician is just terribly cranky and frustrated and takes all of the frustrations of medicine out on his or her patient, and the next time is just you know, so happy to see you and appropriate touch and it gives you a you're my favorite patient um, approach. When you don't know what to expect, that adds another layer of anxiety um, to, the, to, the, to the anticipation of the visit, and that's not good.
1: So we should plan ahead and, and get an idea if the doctor is the kind of doctor we're looking for and um, beyond that, what other kinds of things should we be doing to make sure our expectations are met?
2: I think it's very, very helpful for patients to spend a few minutes um, deciding before they go for a visit or a procedure or a consultation to, to write down exactly what they want to accomplish um, during the visit. And a best practice is to provide a copy then of the you know I'm here today for number one a prescription refill number two advice about my knee number three um, and list them in order of priority and give that list to the physician uh, so that both parties have sort of a checklist to go through and um, th- then there can be the physician can take a moment and say you know I think that we can accomplish three or four of these today and maybe maybe it might be that we we're going to have to let the the you know number five six and seven wait until next time, Um, and there can be agreement then at the start of the visit, or the patient may say, you know what, no, number two is not that important to me, I'd much rather have number six. Um, So spending some time in advance preparing um, for exactly what you want to accomplish it means that you're not going to be walking out the door and then suddenly remembering the knee um, or the prescription refill. And, and then you're going to be dissatisfied, and it's going to take more time for you as a patient to call back and, and arrange um, for that, that missing piece that would have made the visit a great experience for you.
1: I'm going to have to adjust how I practice because when somebody presents me with a list, I feel obligated to try to take care of absolutely everything on it.
2: Ah, uh, well, and, and the only downside to, t- and, and I'm sure that your pa- patients are very happy that you attempt to do that. The only downside might be if sometimes patients feel a bit rushed, um, be- if they don't understand that that the rushing part of it is to, in order to accomplish everything that they have identified as important for the visit.
1: I think I think a rushed physician is often a sign of a very caring doctor, even though it. It seems just the opposite that often, if a doctor is rushed, it's probably because they're they hate keeping the next patient waiting, and, and, and they're trying to to meet everybody's needs.
2: Mm mm-hmm. um, I, I guess that um, from my perspective, one of the things that I worry about about physicians who are too rushed is whether or not there might be a tendency to be more likely to to forget to follow up on. You know, a test that was ordered or test results, or can there sometimes be some safety issues? Um, I think we all tend to make mistakes when, more readily when we are rushed um, so explaining to the patient explaining to patients that you know i'm going to I'm going to go through these things very quickly in order that I can you know respect your time today and have you out of here in thirty minutes or whatever the expected time for the visit is. A, a company that just does a phenomenal job with um, with managing the visit experiences. is a, um, Apple Computers. If you go to an Apple store for a one-to-one lesson, um, you know you go in and you tell them ahead of time when you sign up for the visit what it is you want to accomplish during your one-hour meeting, and at the 50-minute 50, 50 mark, um, they start to be all sorts of cues to let you know that the visit is coming to an end, and um, th- th- I just consider them the, the, the role models for managing a visit to stay on time. But one of the things that they do is that they talk with their staff every single day. The team talks about how do we keep the visits, how do we close the visits respectfully, how do we keep um, people on track so that they leave having accomplished what they wanted. And it's that constant reinforcement of how important it is to stay stay on schedule um, that really creates that great outcome where it happens consistently.
1: You know, I I wonder at times if... What happens in some situations is you end up with a choice between, okay, I can I can see everybody who wants to be seen, but they're not, none of them are going to get the time they want, <laughs> or I can give a limited number the time they want and deserve, um, but close my practice to new patients and yes. have the next appointment be so far out into the future that nobody's satisfied with
2: it. It really is a challenge, isn't it? And, and I think some physicians will reserve time, during the week for those quick mini visits um so if you if you really just feel you need to be seen quickly but you you understand it's going to be limited to a a 15-minute visit or a 10-minute visit or an eight-minute visit you know we've got a block of time um you know tuesdays from three to four for patients who are looking for that kind of express um express service and there are patients who love that
1: yes i well i like that idea again um uh, the Jiffy Lube is, you know, right around the corner from uh, from where I live. Some people, that, you know, they want uh, speed, uh, the time is of the essence, and um, maybe medicine should learn from, from, from that <laughs> kind of aspect of the general economy. So, okay, patients clearly need to be prepared for their visits. Uh, we talked about how they should prepare ahead with a priority list. Um, you're a big believer in organizational resources that can help. Tell me about some of these.
2: Well, there, for instance, um, I think that part of feeling that your physician knows you is is also knowing your physician, and so um, setting up a Google Alerts, um, and that's very easily done at the Google website, where anytime your physician or your physician's practice or your hospital is mentioned. In the news or on the internet, you receive a Google alert to tell you. And that might give you an opportunity to know, to learn that your physician is speaking at a hospital meeting, for example, or an association meeting. Um, for practices and healthcare organizations that are on Twitter, that can just be a great way to start to understand how the organization works and how to be most successful with that organization. Uh, Facebook, if you know, become a fan of your physician's office or your hospital. Or Health Center on Facebook and taking time to actually review the website of an organization that they have that organization has taken time to put that information together hopefully for the patient's benefit and so taking time to review that um, hospital newsletters you know they 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 come by email they come by regular mail um, and there's often just wonderful information there that you can use um, as a patient that you can really benefit from when you go for healthcare services. Uh, then there 's just a wonderful um, resource that 's not an organizational resource, but one of my favorites is um, questions are the answer and if you just google questions are the answer the website comes right up um, it, it comes up number one on Google and this was um, a tool that was de- developed by the agency for healthcare policy and research and um, some i 'm going to just see if we can play just a, a few moments of the commercial have um, magicians we can- Well, that's just as people hearing the sound may remember having seen this public service announcement from time to time. I see, still see it readily hmm. um, all over the country. And what the government has done is they have taken the questions that patients have said are most important to them. And when you go to the website, you can, uh, maybe it's a medication you're starting or a procedure that you're going to consider. And you can read through the, the questions and check off the ones that are important to you. Um, and then you print out, you know, two I like I like to suggest print out two copies of that list, bring a copy in, um, give one to your clinician and you have one for yourself and uh, what 's really interesting is um people thought when this website was first launched that wouldn 't patients just ask all the questions, but in fact they don 't they ask the questions that are important for them, and it really guides um it guides the the visit in a way that patients don't leave and then somebody's brother-in-law says, well, didn't you think to ask this? It really gets to the most important um, questions that should be asked. And a second resource that I really like very much is Ellen Menard's book, The Not-So-Patient Advocate. And she just has great information right across the continuum of care. But she tells, um, when you read the book, she tells you exactly what you might say during different um, scenarios. For, so, for example, let's say it's during a test and um, someone's coming in to draw blood. You might say, "This is my better arm for drawing blood." And she says, in most cases, the lab technicians will welcome that information. But if they're not willing to honor your request and you feel uncomfortable about it, ask for another person. Um, and and she so she. Gives the exact things that people can say and also how they can best prepare to be successful successful patients. But I think in reading the book, people would start to think a little bit differently perhaps and not be as um, fearful about asking for additional information. So another example, you're meeting with your physician and your physician gives you a diagnosis but you're not quite sure. So, Ellen Menard recommends um, something a follow up question like this, knowing that medicine is not a precise science, do you have any doubts about my diagnosis um, and so if you know and you listen to the answer and why or why not and so Although this would be a good book to actually take to the emergency department with you I think it's a it 's a very, very helpful book just to to read up to be more knowledgeable about how systems work in healthcare, care, and then knowing how best to navigate those systems.
1: You know, Susan, I wonder if some of this uh, effort to know the doctor can be turned around for doctors to know patients. Um, giving patients the sense that uh, you're an empathetic, caring doctor is at the heart of providing great medical care to people. That's what, what patients want. They don't, of course, they want the right diagnosis. They want the best possible treatment and they want to feel like they have a relationship, a trusting relationship with their doctor. And I, I worked in one doctor's office who would cut clippings from the newspapers whenever they appeared about one of his patients, and then he would post them into the front of the chart. That way, whenever he was seeing the patient, he could mention this to them. And boy, the patients thought this guy you know, really cared about them, knew who they were. And um, one might imagine the electronic health record of the future doing these Google Alert searches automatically um, on the patient and then putting at the front of the chart information about what's appeared on the Internet about the patient.
2: Uh, uh, I like that idea yeah, very much. Isn't that
1: fascinating? It could all yes. be electronic and just part of the health record system. Huh?
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, you're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Fellman. We're speaking today with Susan Keen Baker. She's the author of Managing Patient Expectations, The Art of Finding and Keeping Loyal Patients. Uh, Susan, um, I was just saying that, that patient-doctor relationships are so critically important Uh, I'm sure your book discusses in detail what the doctors can do to improve relationships with patients. What what, what, What should patients
2: know? I think it's helpful for patients to consider developing relationships with support staff in a physician's office. Um, the, the support staff often are responsible for issues such as access and, and whether your lab tests are, are faxed to you promptly. And a book that I read recently that I really enjoyed was Carolyn Jordan's memoir, and the, her, him, her memoir was t- is titled Heart in the Right Place. Uh, she was an attorney on Capitol Hill, and she took a leave of absence from her position to help her father, who is a family physician in a small town in Tennessee. And she was covering for her mom, who became suddenly ill. So while her mom was the office manager slash receptionist, Carolyn goes back just for a short period of time, but circumstances then dictated that she stay longer. And one of the things that she said in her memoir is, As a practice receptionist, I learned that one of the very lowest positions in the societal pecking order was allotted to the person who answers the phone in a doctor's office. And the job was not only thankless, it was hard, too. Everybody you talked to was either sick and cranky or at their wits' end trying to take care of someone else who was sick and cranky. Every time the phone rang, it was a challenge to try to follow the train of a frustrated, confused, or panicked conversation. So often, I think for support staff there's very much a you know this is what I need, and this is and I need to get to the doctor now and so taking a little just a little bit of time to build relationships, learning those folks themes, and as you said, you know a little bit about them can be really helpful. Sometimes things don't always go the way that, that you hope they will, and that's why I like Ellen Menard's book so much. Um, but sometimes if I'm, if I'm really pressed, I will actually try to personalize the situation by saying, well, if I were your sister, or if I were your daughter, or if I were your mom, what would you do? What would you tell me to do in this situation? And I find that sometimes by um, helping them put themselves in a different role because i what i say to to all healthcare practitioners is the acid test about how patient centered your organization is is do you do things differently if it's a member of your family than you do for your other patients? And where you do things differently is an opportunity for to improve. So even the simple things like finding something in common with that person who's at the reception desk when you come in and learning the names of, of, the, of nurses and what their hobbies are, as you mentioned earlier, um, can just be so – it can just add to the enjoyment of everybody's day and make um, those folks – much more your advocates um, the next time that you visit.
1: So, so this is something that we all should have learned in kindergarten, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't—it's <laughs> not just good advice for patients, but no matter what kind of business you're in, whether you're the patient or the doctor, human life revolves around interpersonal interactions, and um, and and this is good advice. You know, you you catch more bees with honey or something like that. Yes, that,
2: absolutely and and surely you know in each relationship that we have there are two types of value that we bring to people you know there's the rational value Do, does the patient receive the the appointment the the exam the consultation the surgery and then there's the emotional value how does the person feel about it well from the the clinician side the same is true the rational value is you know does the person does the the practice get reimbursed fairly for the service provided Um, but when patients start to feel too much that you know i've paid for this service and not invest time in the emotional value then i think it all becomes you know the rational value how much time do you get do you walk out with a prescription or not and I think that we see this most vividly when you see two friends going through a divorce. You know, when the emotional value is gone from a relationship, don't you see people who are willing to, to duke it out over the toaster oven that neither one of them uses? Um, but they're willing to fight, you know, over it because when the emotional value is gone, there's there's really nothing left except to, to look for those rational things that really are not the rewarding part of a relationship.
1: Or, or worse, that... Mm-hmm. Some emotional value in just trying to upset the other person by taking something else. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, when I think about getting to know, establishing that relationship with the support staff, I, I work in an office uh, alongside people who are cancer doctors, and you see the the apples and the cookies and the flowers and the candies that are brought in for the staff. And I mean, surely that's that's a great thing to do. But I don't I'm sure that that's any more effective in life than some of the things you've suggested, which is just getting to know the person and use their name. And um, another extraordinarily powerful tool would be, you know, to just uh, mention, oh, by the way, doctor, you know, the person who handled the phone, listen, I was cranky and stuff, but they did a fabulous job. And just that kind of positive reinforcement for a job well done, I think is greatly appreciated by people.
2: Absolutely. It really is.
1: Well, um, let's talk a little bit more about feedback. Um, What do you advise about giving um, the medical practice feedback?
2: Well, I think that we have a tendency sometimes to not want to hurt anyone's feelings and and, and not think to ourselves. You know, I think most of us, if we think back over our lives, we can think of times when, someone gave us feedback and it wasn't especially pleasant to hear at the time but it really helped us mm-hmm. and so i i think that people should be honest when they are completing patient satisfaction surveys, because when we're relying on published survey information, we want to be able to rely on that. And the only way we can rely on it is if people comment fairly. So if one one little thing goes wrong, it doesn't have to be this. You know, don't touch this place with a 10 foot pole. Um, but to be to be fair about what the what the experience is like. Um, so going back to the movie example, you know, if someone tells you, well, it's a romantic comedy, and you know, it does go on a little longer they probably could have cut 30 minutes from it well then you go and you know that it may be a longer movie than you than you would have liked it to have been but you know that going in and then you're not as dissatisfied with the experience if we know something's coming we can at least prepare for it Um, so knowing for instance that that you always wait 45 minutes for me, as a patient, that would never be an issue for me because I always bring work to do. I never schedule medical appointments on days when I have something you know bumping right up where i 'm going to be anxious and and be rushing through the, through the visit um, for other people that 's critical, but for me it 's not so if somebody somebody says you know this is a practice where you 're always going to wait forty five minutes or an hour or ninety minutes before you 're seen." That's not a deal breaker for me. For some other people it would. But if no one writes that in, I don't have the opportunity to to see whether or not that practice is a good match for me.
1: I guess Um, one of the things I worry about, though, you know, I started a doctor rating website, doctorscore.com, and one of the things that I thought was critical, and some other websites do it differently, was that that it needed to be an anonymous website because – Doctors should take these negative feedback comments as a gift because it helps doctors um, do what they want to do, which is to give patients the best possible care. But that said, patients may not be confident that their doctor will take it, as a gift. And some doctors probably wouldn't. They, they might take it as, oh, this patient's so whiny. I don't want to see them anymore. Let's just discharge them from the practice. Or, you know, if they needed a return appointment, but let's put it off for a year or two before uh-huh. we have to see them again. So how can patients uh, deal with that possibility?
2: Well, I, I guess that if I were thinking about providing some feedback directly to a physician, I probably would begin by saying, um, you know, Dr. Burnetti, is there anything I could be doing to be a better patient for you and for your practice? And hopefully, um, you know, if he had some feedback for me, then I would accept that. And then I might say, um, would you be interested in some feedback from me? And hopefully he would then be, you know, that would be a, a reciprocal, you know, some reciprocity. Would say yes. Tell me what would make visiting us a nicer experience for you, and that would be the opening um, to to do that. I think that in giving both in giving giving positive feedback and constructive feedback, it's just so important to be specific. Um, you know, what's what's the specific thing that you think um, you really value or or that, if it were change would benefit for you, and you know you might say to me well you wouldn't, but let 's say that you did let 's say that you decided to compliment me, and you 'd say susan you 're great well, with your luck dr feldman i 'd say oh it's he likes the way I hum i 'll hum more and louder, so you want to you want to provide feedback that 's as specific as possible, um, because I think it helps it helps people reinforce the good things and it helps them be more open to changing um, things that can be improved. I'll often preface some constructive feedback by asking someone, are you the kind of person who likes to be flexible? Or are you the kind of person who is flexible? And most people will answer yes to that. And then you say, I thought so. And I, I thought that you might be interested to know that ABC or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. And, and because, you know, some people, gosh, they, when doctors are dealing with people's lives and a busy schedule and stuff going on, maybe they shouldn't be sensi- overly sensitive, but they certainly can be. And one might, um, one might even, you know, proactively say stuff like, "Oh, first, I wanted to let you know your facilities are fabulous, and it just goes to show you know the attention that you and concern that you pay for your patients and. Um, I will tell you that I, that I ended up waiting a long time at the last two visits. And, um, oh, but the third thing I wanted to tell you is is uh, how bright and cheery your receptions are. Mm. <laughs> to uh, to sandwich whatever negative comment you have in so much sugar and
2: sweet. Yeah, that may... that, back to the honey, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back
1: to the honey. <laughs> um, thank you notes. That's something of the past now, isn't it?
2: Wow. Well, you know i'd like to think that that it's not um and some people i think are challenged about how to make those thank you notes happen but of course with social media if someone is on twitter or on facebook they can say something nice about the experience in the the physician's office today and maybe if the if that physician is not in into social media you know print that out and say just you know send a send a quick note just thought you'd like to know um that i thought this much about the experience today to do this and
1: oh that's awesome so not just a public thank you note but it's a combined public and private thank you note. yes i think uh, what could be a nicer thank you note to a medical practice than to publicly recognize them and then let them know that that's been done that's a Mm -hmm. fabulous idea
2: right and Come the end of March each year is doctor 's Day, and Hallmark actually has doctor 's Day cards now in March that you can purchase um, and that 's you know just put it in your calendar right now, end of March send a card um, it, it, i don 't know who said this first, but um, i I heard the the, the quotation we 've all been warmed by fires we didn 't build, and doctors have built so many fires for us, have invested so much. Time and energy, and so much of their life, um, you know, being becoming educated and staying on top of the, the latest medical advancements, um, to take a moment to say thank you for that, I think, is 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 um, it's not a huge investment of time for a patient, but. I know doctors who will save any kind of thank-you note like that in a box, and on the really stressful days, they'll take five minutes to take that box out and look through um, what they have meant to patients, and it kind of you know, gets, gets them going again for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month.
1: What a great suggestion for our healthcare system, too. Well, Susan, uh, here at the end of the show, we usually like to ask our guests about specific suggestions they have for patients. Though your last comments... I think are a fabulous suggestions. Did you, Did you have any other suggestions you want to share with the audience today?
2: Well, I guess I might sum up just by saying that the best relationships we ever have in our life are those relationships in which we're treated with dignity, and the other person is as well. And sometimes, um, it you know, it doesn't matter who sets that ball rolling in the correct direction, whether it's. The practitioner, or whether it's the patient, but somebody needs to, and so being respectful of the physician's time and the stresses that they're under, um, while also, under, you know, preparing for a visit, really goes a long way. I think to, to to doing just that.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on the program today.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for asking me.
1: Our healthcare system is full of modern miracles, all sorts of technology, enormous. Interests, business, and otherwise they're insurers, government regulators, hospitals, patients, all these different players ultimately, medical care is delivered to a person uh, by people, and whether we 're talking about health care or any other form of human interactions it's a human interaction and It's really critically important that we pay close attention to that, as uh, Susan was saying. There's so much that we can do ahead of time to prepare. Certainly our doctors are preparing in a major way to help take care of us, and we can prepare a little bit to make it easier for them, to make it more likely that our needs will fully be met, making a list of what we want done. Well, certainly we expect the doctor should be giving us written instructions on what to do. And similarly, it helps us if we have a written list of what our concerns are to present to the doctor. Both doctors and patients ought to realize something about who the other person is as a person. I think that leads to a better interpersonal interaction. This is something to keep in mind in in every other sphere of our lives. Susan sums it up well, treating other people respectfully. And and what could be more respectful than to show a caring attitude about other people, to show them how much we care about them, uh, whether we're a doctor taking care of a patient or a patient being cared for by a physician. Well, that's our program for today. In this election season, We'll be looking to have a discussion, not a debate, certainly not a partisan debate, but a discussion about healthcare reform legislation. I think this is something that's been on a lot of people's minds. I want to talk about what patients can really expect the healthcare reform legislation will do to our American healthcare system. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank you for joining me. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli.
0: Until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DoctorScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.